If you asked me who my favorite musical artist was when I was 13 years old, I would have instantly said Kanye West. At the time, Kanye represented to me everything that was right about rap and hip-hop. I thought his music was fun and approachable, yet deep. He was vaguely religious and socially conscious too, discussing themes such as drug use, violence, and poverty in black communities. And most of all, his music just sounded good. So if 2014 you told me that in a couple years, Kanye would be donning a MAGA hat, apologizing slavery, and then releasing a gospel album, I would have wondered what crack you were smoking. But we all know the story of Kanye West. To me, he rose and fell, and depending on who you are, he rose again. But let me be the first to say, this man is no Jesus. He's Lazarus at best. But despite my current dislike of the man and his most recent musical projects, I have to admit something. I'm obsessed with him. Okay, not him, but his music. It's such an integral part of who I am, I think, that for whatever reason, I just can't shake it. Which is why on this season of Did the Beat Go Off, I'm reliving and re-listening to it all. So for this first episode, let's go back in time a bit. It's October 23rd, 2002, and a 25-year-old Kanye West is driving home from a California recording studio. Up until this point, Kanye had pretty good success. At this moment in time, he was working as an in-house producer at Rockefeller Records, Jay-Z's famous record company, producing for Mr. Carter himself, as well as for Cameron, Ludacris, Alicia Keys, and even Janet Jackson. Before this, though, Kanye was just sort of a kid from Chicago. Born on June 8, 1977, as Kanye Omari West, he was born in Atlanta to Ray West, a former Black Panther, and Dr. Donda C. Williams West, an English professor at Clark Atlanta University. After his parents divorced when he was a child, he moved with his mother to the middle-class Oak Lawn suburbs of Chicago. Now, I'm sure this is surprising to many people. When you think of Kanye West, you think of Chicago, and when people think of Chicago, they think of the South Side in Chirac. One thing I respect about Kanye, though, is that he never attempted to serve as a mouthpiece for this Chicago by donning a fake hood personality. Instead, he talked his reality and let you make of it what it was. He talked about Air Forces and pink polos and cousins who stole laptops. He never really had a started-from-the-bottom chip on his shoulder. He was kind of a nerdy kid from the suburbs who just liked making beats. And so, when he was around 13, he met legendary producer and DJ No ID, who would soon become one of his mentors, and the reason that, if there's nothing else he can do, Connie can sample a song. From this, he kept making beats, working with various rap collectives through which he was able to work on projects with Nas, Jermaine Dupri, Mace, Raekwon, and Eminem. It's also important to mention that towards the end of the 90s, Kanye went to college, but then dropped out to focus on his music when he was 20. But we'll get to that later. But it definitely wasn't until 2000 that Kanye came to be the producer we know he is today. While working at Rockefeller, Kanye began to get the rapping bug. So while still a producer, he began reaching out to various record companies, all of whom declined, as Kanye didn't represent the gangsta image of rappers like Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube, or the luxe lifestyle that Biggie rapped about. He did, however, get close to signing with Capitol Records, but in an effort to keep Kanye around, 
Rockefeller Records, then label head, Damon Dash, reluctantly signed West. Now, Damon Dash is a polarizing figure in rap history, but I think one of the greatest things he's ever done, and hopefully the way history will remember the man, is the fact that he's the one who signed Kanye West. So back to 2002. As I said, Kanye is driving home from a recording studio when he falls asleep at the wheel and collides into another car, resulting in him having a shattered jaw. Now, you don't need to know much about rap to know that a shattered jaw does not a good rapper make. Following reconstructive surgery, West had his jaw wired shut. But for whatever reason, this inspired him to record. I'm going to be honest, I would not have done that. But he did. And we got some really great music out of this. In December of 2002, West released the mixtape Get Well Soon. Now I'm sure y'all thought I was going to briefly mention his hit Through the Wire before talking about the college dropout, Kanye's first studio album. But on this podcast, I refuse to leave any stone unturned. So welcome to episode one of the Kanye West Suite, Get Well Soon. I can't think of any project that starts in such an early 2000s way. The intro to this mixtape is a 28 second clip from the hip hop and R&B music and video countdown show 106 in Park on BET, in which hosts AJ and Free wish Kanye, who at that time was still just known as a producer, a good recovery from his car accident. To us in 2020, it's so wonderfully dated. It's the same as when Ice Cube says in his 1993 song, It Was a Good Day, then he went to Short Dog's house and they were watching, yo, MTV raps. And that's what I love about Kanye's music. More than just taking us through his life and the various stages of his life, his music takes us through the various stages of rap. One of the ways Kanye's music can be understood as a pulse for where rap and hip-hop is, but also for where the country is. To me, each album serves as a time capsule for the year it was produced. I mean, I can't get over the fact that his intro is from 106 in Park. The next song on Get Well Soon is, for lack of a better word, weird, and definitely not something Kanye would do today. It's a live performance of him from a concert with more famous rappers at the time, Talib Kweli and Most Def, at Irving Plaza, a famous concert hall in New York City. The production quality is absolutely horrible and sounds like it was recorded on a Nokia. And to be honest, it probably was. Qualies and Def's hypes are way louder and clearer than anything Kanye is saying. But if you listen closely, although the beat is hard to follow, the lyrics reveal something interesting. It's the predecessor to Kanye's Breathe In, Breathe Out, a song that doesn't make its true debut until 2004 on the college dropout. What made me realize this was the iconic bar, always said if I rap, I'd say something significant, but now I'm rapping about money, hoes, and rims again. That's a line I love and I know it anywhere. And when Kanye says it for the first time, the crowd goes crazy. You can barely hear his next lines over the screens. And that's why this is such a cool recording, even though it's sort of weird to find on a mixtape. Because here comes that power of the way Kanye releases music. It's incredibly rooted in its time. I wonder what it was like in Irving Plaza that night. You know, you go to see Talib Kweli and Most Def, and then they bring out their friend who you sort of know because he produced a couple songs for Jay-Z. And then he starts rapping. And to be honest, he isn't that good. But little do you know, he's about to become one of the most famous rappers of all time. 
The second half of this song then becomes the words to Whack Niggas, a song that's from the unreleased album Freshman Adjustment Volume 1, the predecessor to the college dropout. Now don't worry, I'll only be counting officially released works in this discography, so there won't be an episode on Freshman Adjustment. Or maybe there will be, I don't know. But for now, what's so interesting about this is that those people at Irving Plaza, hearing this for the first time, they didn't really care about Kanye's rapping. Other than that one line from what would become Breathe In, Breathe Out, they're way more into Talib Kweli's verse. And towards the end of the song, Kweli and Most Def take it over. It becomes their concert again, and Kanye becomes a producer again. In this song, we're exposed to a Kanye that we would never see today. A background rapper who's shy and timid and has no stage presence. And I think this is the Kanye that's encapsulated within the mixtape Get Well Soon. Because a lot of the tracks on this mixtape aren't Kanye. The next song is Guess Who's Back Freestyle by 50 Cent. Don't get me wrong, I love that this mixtape showcases artists who would now be considered old in their heyday and other artists during their come up. But out of the 36 tracks on this mixtape, only 7 are actually Kanye's, which you have to admit is really weird. For some reason, for example, O3 Bonnie and Clyde by Jay-Z featuring Beyonce's on this. I have no idea why O3 Bonnie and Clyde by Jay-Z featuring Beyonce is on this. We also have appearances by Nas, Scarface, and Foxy Brown. I wonder what the point of this was. Did he simply need more tracks to fill the mixtape? Was he trying to show that he had friends in high places? More realistically, it's probably that he was trying to showcase his production abilities. O3 Body and Clyde was produced by Kanye. But I think this works to detract from the original intention of Get Well Soon, to become a real and respected rapper. So in all of this, you have to wonder where Kanye is. We find him again in the fourth track. The fourth track on this mixtape is a 35 second snippet of one of his most famous early songs, Jesus Walks. Now because it's a snippet, I won't go into it into too much detail. I'll save that analysis, and trust me, there's a lot to be said, for the next episode where I really dive into the college dropout. But it's interesting to see his early work and his early process. Kanye's work has never been known to be static. I think of how he kept releasing versions of The Life of Pablo, claiming that it just wasn't done. But then after this, we have the holy grail of this mixtape in early Kanye, the song that's going to make this entire episode worthwhile. And that's Through the Wire. Okay, remember that car crash in 2002 that I was talking about earlier? This is where it comes back. Two weeks after that accident, with his jaw wired shut, Kanye recorded Through the Wire. And not to be Captain Obvious here, but that's the title of the song because he was talking through a wire. Clever, I know. But anyway, from the beginning of the song, we can hear Kanye's muffled voice as he says, Yo G, they can't stop me from rapping, can they? Then soon after, we hear the chorus, a sampling of Shaka Khan's 1984 song, Through the Fire, but a couple octaves higher than the soul singer ever sang it. It's high-pitched with an Alvin and the Chipmunks-esque sound that would become a staple in early Kanye songs and albums. Over this chorus, Kanye talks about how he's ready to risk it all by recording this track. 
I don't know enough about reconstructive surgery to say how much he was really risking here, but this idea of music being risky is what would come to define Kanye's entire discography. I love the first line of the first verse of this song. Kanye says, I drink a boost for breakfast and ensure for dessert. Here's another thing that you learn about early Kanye. He's funny. He has a unique way of storytelling that's witty and clever and you'll see more in depth in albums like The College Dropout and Late Registration. Further on in the verse, he also talks about his mom. Kanye West is a real mama's boy and he's not afraid to let you know it. At the end of the verse, Kanye says what happened to him, this accident and this song he's recording, it's history in the making. And so much of me, for some reason, hates how right he is. Through the Wire, when it was released as a single in 2003, peaked at number 15 on the Billboard 100. In 2005, the song would go on to be nominated for a Grammy. It's a really famous and important song, not only in Kanye West's discography, but in rap in general. I think it served to normalize this form of storytelling in music that would come to be the main attraction of Kanye West. Furthermore, he does a lot of just talking, not actually rapping, which, while not unknown in rap at all, was not something rappers really did in the middle of their songs. This to me is more reminiscent of the Baptist gospel tradition, something that is definitely a hallmark of early Kanye and, as we'll see over time, something that he returns to. The second verse of the song continues in much of the same way as the first, albeit a little bit more unremarkable. But to me, it wouldn't really be the Kanye West we know if not for the last couple of lines of the outro. Over Shaka Khan, Kanye says, When the doctor told me I had him, that I was gonna have to have a plate in my chin, I said, Dog, don't you realize I'll never make it on a plane now? It's bad enough I got all this jewelry on. This is the beginning of that Kanye, the flashy one, the one who made a career of rapping about money, hoes, and rims. And then it gets weird, because that's Kanye West. In the last 30 seconds of this track, we have a sample of Elton John's I'm Still Standing from 1983. It's super random, especially since it isn't even really mixed into the song. There's no transition into it, and there's none of that editing over the track that shows Kanye ever touched it. Listening to this, I'm wondering if I got a bunk download of the song. But since the full title is Through the Wire, parentheses still standing, I'm going to assume that this is supposed to be there. I'm also going to assume that someone at Rockefeller caught this and removed it before Kanye released Through the Wire as a single. Next, track 6 is Two Words by Kanye. Two Words also makes an appearance on the college dropout, so I won't go into it too much here. But for the first time, we start to see gritty Kanye. He's definitely not a gangster rapper by any means, but the sound is a lot harsher and so is the subject matter. This song is also much more in line with Kanye's usual production quality, with verses by Most Def, of course, Philly rapper Freeway, and use of the Harlem Boys' choir in the chorus, giving again that gospel feel that Kanye seems to be unable to shake. Now let's go to track 8. This isn't Kanye, but it deserves some recognition. Track 8 is called Champions, parentheses, presenting Kanye West, Young Chris, Beanie Siegel, Cameron, and Twista. This song, weirdly enough, is attributed to Dame Dash, although right at the start, he makes it clear he's not about to rap. Instead, it's a hype song for these young up-and-comers at Rockefeller Records. 
After talking for a while, we hear a sample of Queen's uber-famous We Are The Champions from 1977. It's ratcheted up a couple octaves, of course, and has a pretty strong drum beat behind it. But then, as Freddie Mercury is holding the word world towards the end of the chorus, Dame comes back and says, God damn, Kanye, I bet niggas didn't know you could rap, huh? And the truth is, most people didn't know that. We can't forget Kanye was a producer, and still is a producer. For this reason, I've always hesitated to give him so much flack for having weak bars, because that was never his strong suit. Here Damon Dash is hyping him up, and he should be, but also don't forget that this is the same Damon Dash who didn't really want to give him a record contract. Kanye has a pretty standard verse on the song. It's definitely the type of verse that artists produce on what I like to call mob tracks, when a bunch of artists under a label or who are friends come and make a song together in an anthology type way. While these songs are fun, they definitely don't show how strong an artist actually is a lot of the time. But of course, there are exceptions, and off the top of my head, I think of One Train from ASAP Rocky's album Long Live ASAP and Oldie by Odd Feature. But anyway. It also doesn't help that they're rapping the entire time about how good Rockefeller Records is. Now this isn't an uncommon trope by record labels, but it's corny. Like no one wants to hear Damon Dash yelling about how he has lyrical assassinators. It's just lame. Track 9 is another recording of a live concert. This time, it's just a 32 second clip from a Jay-Z concert at the Tweeter Center in Illinois. Once again, Nokia quality. And there's no rapping, it's just Kanye announcing to a crowd that he's the newest member of Rockefeller Records. The screams from the crowd upon this announcement could definitely be better, and it blows my mind that Kanye thought this was so amazing that it had to be in this weird little mixtape. But again, no one went to that concert to see Kanye, they were there for Jay. And this track makes a great segue into one of my favorite Jay-Z songs, The Bounce. It's a super fun song featuring Kanye, and like the title suggests, it's bouncy, it's danceable, and Jay-Z is definitely the star of it. I can't help but draw parallels between Jay-Z and Kanye's early relationship to that of Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian. This was another iconic power duo of the early 2000s, but Kim was the Kanye to Paris's Jay-Z. One was definitely way more famous than the other, and so they were relegated to seeming afterthoughts. The Bounce is the first time Kanye rapped on a Jay-Z song, something that a decade later would become vital to keeping Jay-Z's rapping career going. But in this moment in time, it's like Kanye was lucky to even be on a Jay-Z track. And this is definitely reflected in the lyrics, with Kanye coming out strong, claiming that magazines call me a rock star, and referencing an interview he did with MTV to assert that he actually has some clout as a rapper. Two tracks later, Kanye can't seem to get this idea of his own clout out of his head. In the short track, A Million Freestyle, Kanye raps about, you guessed it, his millions, which includes money and girls. Wrapped over Jay-Z's 1997 A Million and One Questions, it's a pretty boring song. And then, Kanye disappears. Like, actually, for nine straight tracks. We catch back up with Mr. West on track 22, Home. Now, this song is super, super interesting. It begins with a verse by none other than John Legend. Yes, John Legend. 
In 2001, Legend, who was then not really anyone, was introduced to Kanye, who hired him to sing hooks on his songs. And interestingly enough, John Legend adopted his stage name not because he really liked it, but because Kanye kept calling him that. Now with anything John Legend sings, it's beautiful, so this song has a super pretty chorus that's incredibly soulful. Then, Kanye starts rapping. And five bars in, he's rapping a song many of us know pretty well, Homecoming. Yes, that Homecoming, from the 2007 album Graduation. The beat and flow are completely different, but it's the exact same lyrics. When I heard this for the first time, I geeked out. I won't completely unpack the song because I think it deserves more justice when I explore the album Graduation more in depth. But this is an important thing about Kanye we need to keep in the back of our minds. He's never satisfied. Here he is recording a beautiful version of this song with John Legend, but deciding years later it would sound better with a new, more upbeat backing and vocals by Chris Martin. It's a really interesting theme that remains consistent in his career. The song ends with Legend's hook, and there's nothing more for me to say than it's just super beautiful. After this, Kanye only has one more song. It's track 26, My Way. As with many Kanye songs, this one starts with a soulful sample of Irene Reid's cover of My Way, the song made famous by Frank Sinatra. This song is pretty standard early Kanye as he raps about his home, Chicago, and his journey to becoming a rapper. It's a nice listen, but definitely something more reminiscent of an album like Late Registration, which interestingly enough has its own song, My Way Home, but that's unrelated. When I told my sister I was recording an episode about the mixtape Get Well Soon, she had no idea what I was talking about. And honestly, before I started this, I didn't know what I was talking about either. Because when this was released in 2002, I was only two years old. But I knew I wanted my story of Kanye to begin sometime around through the wire. But I never knew this piece of Kanye history ever existed. And I think that's intentional. I had to do this episode because I want to capture as many officially released Kanye West as I can. A Herculean task, I know, but I'll try my best. But for me, a self-toted Kanye West aficionado, it was surprising to learn about this forgotten part of his history. But unfortunately, it's not a good part of his history. The best song, that's actually Kanye's, to me is Home, featuring John Legend. A song that he would later co-op to become the way more famous Homecoming. And just a quick sidebar, you have to love the fact that Kanye West loves his music so much that he interpolates himself all the time. But anyway, listening to this mixtape revealed a new Kanye that I had never known. One who didn't really know what he was doing when he was in front of a mic and was way more comfortable making beats. That's why I think this is the perfect setup to understand, even a little bit, the man behind the music. And that's the beauty of Kanye. You can actually figure out the man behind the music if you follow closely enough. On the next episode, I'll delve into Kanye's studio debut album, The College Dropout. I explore how he changed from Get Well Soon, whether that album is actually worth the hype, and why, a decade and a half later, I'm still talking about it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share, and I would love to talk to you. What things did I miss or get wrong? What spoke to your soul? And more than anything, please give me more music to listen to. You can find me on Instagram at abbynotabigail. Now, I want to leave you all with my favorite line from this mixtape. 
It comes from Through the Wire, and it's when he says, The doctor said I had blood clots, but I ain't Jamaican. Classic Kanye. Kanye. 